0: Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than Katrina and the Waves winning Eurovision. Love, shine a light. I don't really remember the rest of that. It was no Love City groove, let's be honest. In the morning... When the sun shines down on your body. What a tune. That should have won Eurovision. It's bloody robbed. Oh, baby, 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 you got me going. I'll stop. I'll stop. (laughs) My name is Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast. Thank you very much for joining us and hitting that download button harder than a John Hartson swift kick to the head. Yeah, sorry, John. We are in the midst of a countdown here at AK90s and at the halfway point of our season-by-season season look back at the decade that changed football forever. So it's 1994-95, a season that has to be said, so much happened. Do me research beforehand. Uh, I forget, you know you, you know that things happen that you can't always remember what season was what. A lot happened in 94-95 and we get through all that. Well, we try to at least in the, the show today. Obviously, the crescendo was the... Famous last day at Anfield where Blackburn Rovers won the league. No spoilers, I'm sure you already know that. And I'm hoping we can cheer some Blackburn Rovers fans up because obviously in the modern world, last weekend, Blackburn were relegated to League One, which means next season they'll be the first ever Premier League winners to be playing third-tier football next year. Um, So I'm hoping to put a bit of smile on your faces, Blackburn Rovers fans, by talking about that famous season and Kenny and Chris and Alan and Tim and Tim and Henning and Colin and Graham, Jason, Stewart, all that lot. That was pretty much the team, wasn't it? main team anyway. Um, We talk all through that, that famous day, that famous season with John Harrison, who joins us. On the show, a Blackburn fan and a BBC journalist. So, we're talking lots and lots of Blackburn, so look forward to that. Uh, just going back to last time out when we did 93 94, I'll usually like to sort of tie up a few loose ends, but to be honest, I think we pretty much covered everything on that show. It was a season, unlike what we're going to talk about today, that not really a lot happened in terms of controversies and I don't know, shenanigans, I guess. A lot happened on the pitch that we talked about with our 1st our guest, Joel Young, the you know, friend of the show, part of the furniture, the grandfather clock. Oh, wait, I'll stop calling him that because I'll bloody hate it. Uh, he talks about Middlesbrough and Brian Robson's arrival at the Riverside, including that famous picture of him in half kit, half suit. If you've never seen it, go on the Twitter feed now. I think it's on the top of the page still. Uh, it's one of the best pictures of the nineties, ridiculousness and it's player-managerness um, uh, at Middlesbrough. So I don't know what went through their minds, but go and check that out. Uh, We also had Mark Godfrey from the Football Pink. He was the first time for him on the show and I thought it was great. Having now read the 90s special that's out now from the Football Pink, it's absolutely flaming brilliant. Um, So I'm going to give that another plug. So if you, obviously, you love United's football because you're listening to this podcast, go out and get the latest issue of the Football Pink. Proper old school fanzine and it's dedicated to football in the 90s i think the best place to go on their twitter feed and their website at football pink and there's so many stuff in there i mean mark himself wrote a great article on music and football in the 90s which is really really enjoyed because you know that they kind of did walk hand in hand we talked a little bit about it on the show last time out he talked about like, the lightning season goal of the season uh, goal of the month sorry and goal of the season actually thinking about it but that's i still think of that song when i hear it and i still think of when I watch Goal of the Month now, that they should have the lining seeds, and Mark goes into that? And also a great piece from a friend of the show, Matthew Christ on the Anglo-Italian Cup. But outside of my friends of the show, there's some great pieces in there as well. Go out and get that. I can't recommend it enough. We also had Rufus Brevitt on the phone. I know, I know, QPR again. We've had kind of two in a row with Matthew Lorenzo slipped into the middle of those three but um, I thought it was a good interview obviously still loves the club didn't realise how much he didn't want to leave so that was interesting at least to me I hope you guys still found bits of it interesting we did talk about Fulham as well but he was a really nice guy Rufus um, we've got another really nice guy on today's show as well um, today's guest is somebody very a very 90s name 94-95 um, wasn't the best season for him and his club Crystal Palace but we talk about the 1990 FA Cup final that Crystal Palace team as well his later days at Coventry and England caps. Uh, so, John Solarco is today's guest. Uh, really nice guy. So, I look forward to that. Um, what else did I want to talk to you about? Oh, kits, so of course. Lots of people got in touch with me this week because of the new Manchester United away kit. Um, obviously, I'm a kit geek. I already check in for new kits every sort of four, four times a day, maybe. I'm always on Twitter typing 17, 18 kits to see if anyone's released them, which is why I know that, you know. Ipswich have, Doncaster have, uh, I think Queen of the South I saw the other day, so I'm, I'm on it, but obviously the headline act this week has been May United's new away kit, which had been rumoured and leaked for a while, which I never like to believe until I finally see somebody wearing it, and that was released this week, and of course it's a homage, great word, to the 1990s kit, away kit, one of my favourite kits actually, if you go back and listen to the top five kits in the 90s pod I did with the great John Devlin. I chose this in my top five. It's the Man United kit from ninety to ninety two. There's an away one. The uh, I call it maple leaf pattern. I don't think Adidas call it that, but that's, that's to me that's what it looks like. Sort of jagged maple leaf. And the nineties version was that amazing purpley blue that they wore in the cup final in ninety two. Uh, I always remember Lee Sharp scoring a hat trick against Arsenal in, in a six two win as well. But it's one of my favourite kits. When I eventually go around get round to collecting all those kits, that will be one of the first ones I'm going to buy. Don't tell the wife. Um so yeah, that's that so the new kit is kind of well, it's black, isn't it? um, so it's not purple or blue, it's a very cool two thousand and seventeen black and gray, and I love it well. Not as much as I love the original, but I love any homage to 90s football kits. So I really, really like that one from Adidas. Well done, you guys. I'd like to see a lot more of this. I know the new Liverpool shirt has got the the V-neck, which makes me think of the the sort of 95, 96 shirt that they wore, with the big V-neck as well. Although a lot of the notes will tell you it's more owed back to the 80s kits with the pinstripes. But any homage to 1990s, uh, I'm, I'm loving it. So any new kits want to do that oh yeah actually thinking about it if anyone at Nike wants to do a homage to the 1994 USA kit I'm pointing to it you can't see it but it's in my office as I always say we would bloody love that as well so yeah get on with it so great new kit from Man United oh, I didn't want to mention Dennis Burkham's birthday as well it's something that happened this week and I do want to because he's so synonymous with, with 1990s especially the late 90s at Arsenal and I've said it many times uh, on this podcast as well that I still think he's probably the greatest import the Premier League has ever seen. I mean, you you can have your Omri's and your Ronaldo's, I get it, and it's a great case for them as well as Cantona in our decade as well. But, I don't know, Burkham he had that something special. He did things with the football I haven't really seen since. He had that. He was classy. It was that kind of class to him, didn't he? You think of those goals, uh, the, the three at uh, Leicester that were all in goal in a month, that goal at the 1998 World Cup, which was unbelievable, that Frank de Boer and and that touch. He really was at his peak kind of then when Arsenal won the league and then going into France 98. So happy birthday, Dennis, from AK90s, because you are very much one of our favourite footballers of the decade here. I think most Arsenal fans we've had on here have included him when we do our football CVs as well. And I think rightfully so. I think even I had a post of him on my wall and I'm a QPR fan, but I did have a plethora of other players um, at the time from Match and Shoot and Soccer Stars and whatever. And Dennis Bergkamp was one of them, like Janinho, Steve Stone. (laughs) Bloody love Steve Stone. But happy birthday to Dennis Bergkamp. And the only other thing I wanted to mention because I put it up on Twitter earlier was that it's been 21 years since the 1996 FA Cup final, and I'm not going to talk about that because it's drab, um, horrible final with Eric Cantona, Settle. But you can't talk about that final without talking about those suits, can you? I'll put out some great pictures today of Stiggy Bouda, Ian Rush. Uh, in, in those seats, and the just expressions on their faces is, is so funny, like, although Bjornaby is rocking it, he, he he's looking quite cool, Rush, not so much, I think he's got the ump, and I think Ryan Giggs is looking at him with a strange look, and there's a great picture of, in the background, there's Andy Cole, with a kind of look on his face, you kind of want to put a thought bubble above his head, just to say, what are you wearing, mate, really? I think it was Armani, wasn't it, something to do with David James, I don't know, I think they all blame each other, but classic 90s it's on the cover of the book cheap plug um jamie redknapp thumbs up i think jamie redknapp quite liked playing it you know the whole spice boy thing that they kind of bemoan now but at the time i think a oh, few of them were actually reveling those suits but horror show absolute horror show but classic classic 1990s anyway let's stop me waffling because there is so much to get on with for, for 1994 95 uh, with us um Interview wise, as I said, we'll get John Salaiko. There was a point where we we're going to get um, Aussie ID on the phone. Unfortunately, we couldn't work out in time. So, we don't go into uh, stuff about Jurgen Klinsmann as much as I really wanted to. Uh, there are so much to talk about anyway, but I really wanted to talk a bit more about Jurgen, his arrival, and his impact on the league but because we thought we had aussie id list we were going to leave that to him unfortunately aussie's schedule let us down at the last minute and thankfully we had john Salako on the phone which is a great guest as i said but just for those tottenham fans who are listening hoping to hear lots and lots of jürgen there is some but possibly not as much as you're expecting uh, we'll make up for it when we'll do 97 98 when he's returned to Tottenham. maybe we'll look, include it in that um, but there's a few memories from some fans as well that I wanted to mention before we go into the meat of the show. Uh, when I put up, what were your memories of this season? Um, a lot of you got in touch. Thank you very much for that. It's always nice to hear um, your memories and include them, if I can, into the show. This one particularly was hard because, you know, it, there was so much going on. But just a few that I'd like to mention. Edmund at Eddie EFC. Simply put a picture of Duncan Ferguson lifting the FA Cup. We talk a lot about Everton. We've got Richard Buxton back on the show. Big uh, football face on Merseyside. All those are red. He covered Everton and Liverpool at the moment. So he knows what happened and what that meant to the, the club at the time. Chucky Egg 10, just a man, says, coming home from watching the Village Pando, brilliant, and watching Cantonar's Kung Fu kick on Sports Night. How 90s is that, Sports Night? Don't worry, we talk a lot about the Kung Fu kick. Uh, Ollie, at Duff Bear, who's also a friend of a gorilla position of the other podcast that I'm on. He said, I was at Anfield that day, we won the title. It's a day I'll never forget. Of course, he's talking about Blackburn. Anthony Carr, at Anthony Tank Carr, Says Martin Smith, hashtag son of Pelé, hashtag SAFC. I'm not sure, quite sure we get around to Martin, but thanks for your input, Anthony. Uh, Andy Cole, getting sold to May night from Newcastle. Yeah, we mentioned that, Richard. Uh, Richie wool Sam Stevens, 71, says an amazing goalless season competition. We talk, Leticia, of course, how can we not? Uh, at Wes Cart, which is Wes Cart Lidge, uh, says Everton going from relegation candidates to FA Cup winners in the space of seven months, thanks to Joe Rule. Again, we talk a lot about Everton. Uh, two words says James Powell 363 Jurgen Klinsmann we do talk that Tim Wall simply shows a picture of Eric Cantona doing the Kung Fu kick uh, Ray Grit Klinsmann scoring 41 goals in his first season one of the biggest superstars to play in the Prem debut goal and a great celebration definitely was Ray Gritt Matthew Christ, who was actually supposed to be on the show today, uh, I may have mentioned that last time out, but he's doing his own football nostalgia of the 90s, uh, he's playing in a charity match for Football Whispers, alongside people like Darren Anton, John Salako. Uh, I think Russell Wasman is there, Paul Walsh, so enjoy that, but he said, flying to Barcelona for a day to see United being beaten 4-0, being at Selhurst for Cantona's meltdown, you could see it coming We'll talk to him when he's back on the show about that. He also mentions Man United's 5-0 win over Man City in the Manchester derby where Andre Kanchelskis scored a hat-trick. Uh, and lastly, Colin Watkins, at Colin Watkins, simply says, the best season ever. I guess he's a Blackburn fan. Well, let's get into it then, so we can talk about what Colin thinks is the best season ever. Before we get into the meat of the sandwich, let me just remind you that you can get in touch with us, like all those people have there, at AK90s on Twitter and on Facebook. We're not, you know, Facebook is not our strongest tool at the moment. So if you are a Facebook person, which I'm sure that most of you are because that's the life we lead these days, give us a like just to help us along. But even more, if you want to help us along, go on iTunes, give us a five star rating and review. It'd be so much appreciated if you can. Um, it, it just helps us reach out to more people, get people on the show, just build the brand of a life kicking because there's so much more I want to do with this show. So, yeah, that would be brilliant. But I'm going to stop waffling now. Um all I'm going to say is, if you want to listen to previous episodes, they're on iTunes and on SoundCloud and on the website as well, but I'm going to throw over to myself now where I'm with John Harrison, as I mentioned, Richard Buxton, and Matt Davis is back with us as well to talk a bit more positively about Nottingham Fries than he did last time and the great team that finished third that season, as well as John Salako on the phone. So this is a laugh and kick in. I am Ash Rose. That's talk 1994-95. Okay, we're going to rattle through this now. 1994-95. So, so much to talk about um, and we're going to start with. I'm sorry to do this to you, John, but it's been a sad week for Blackburn uh, and Sunday's relegation. But we're going to try and cheer you up. How, how are you feeling, John Harrison from the BBC journalist? How
1: are you doing after Sunday's uh, disappointing day? Yeah, a bit depressed to be all, to be honest with you. It's uh, it's 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 tough. It's, it's tough being a Blackburn fan at the moment. But um, yeah, it's nice to nice to. Remember some uh, some happier times.
0: Yeah, well, we'll definitely cheer you and all the Rovers fans up. Um, I'm going to seg that way into a Nottingham Forest fan, So I know you weren't rivals on Sunday, technically, but Matt, you're on the other end of it, escaping <laughs> it. And we're going to talk more positively about uh, Nottingham Forest today. Uh, Matt Davis, voice of Talksport and Chelsea TV. How you doing, buddy? I'm
2: good, thank you. Yeah, probably a bit better than John. I must say, I did feel his pain on Sunday. It, it was sad that it had to be either of us, but a bit of reflection on, um, on the current ownership, I think. I mean, it's, just looking back into, into Forest 94, 95 and thinking of the contrast between then and now, it's not quite as stark as Blackburn, but it's not far off.
0: Mm, yeah, the ownership, that's for a definitely more modern podcast, but you could go for days and days on that one, couldn't you? And finally, mm. we are a jam-packed, I'd like to say studio, but we'll, we'll, we'll call it that. That's fine with me. Uh, returning to the podcast after a while, Richard Buxton, a freelance journalist, a bit of a a Anfield view from ninety four ninety five. Of course, that famous day. How you doing, Richard?
3: Not bad, Ash. Very good, actually, compared to the other two guys. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you
0: probably are. Yeah. Okay. So, like I said, lots to talk to about in ninety four ninety five. So let's get the the CVs out of the way, um, John and Matt, it's your second time, let's start with you John, um, favourite Blackburn game of the 90s, is this going to include this season, I'm sure it will be
1: Yeah, well I, I look back on that season and uh, obviously I think most people will remember the Anfield game, getting, but we actually got beat then obviously and um, I think that the game that, I think probably most Blackburn fans, I would imagine um, remember equally fondly is the second to last game of, of that season which I'm going to go for as my favourite game of the season, which was it was a home game to Newcastle and we won 1-0 and um, got absolutely battered. Um, and, uh, yeah, Tim Flowers was the saviour. He made world-class save after world-class save. And um, I think that was the game that we effectively won the title. I think if, if we had dropped points then, we, it, it would have been gone. But, um, yeah, so I'm going to go for that. Second last game of the uh, 94-95 season. Blackburn won, Newcastle nil. It was a proper back to the wall job. Shearer scored first half, and then um, yeah, there was just save. There were there were sort of open goals. There was one with John Beresford came came forward at left back, and um, he seems to have an open goal. And Flowers just managed to get a hand to one. He tipped, tipped him over the bar. It was it was an incredible, incredible match. And um, I think that was probably the one that um, that obviously we went on to lose the, the last game. Um, Quite famously, but um, that was the one that, that I think for us was, was probably the um, the one that won as the title in the end.
0: Was that the bottle game? Is that the Tim, Sh- uh, Tim Flowers interview afterwards where he talks about
1: bottle for about five minutes? That's the one. Yeah, yeah well, great interview. Well, be- because it uh, it was Ferguson. Ferguson had been winding everybody up again um, and um, and and saying that we'd lost our bottle. He did he did he did it similar with Keegan. Obviously, it was it the next season, the one after that, and. Um, uh, yeah, it, it was. I think I think Flowers came in, man of the match, put me in front of a camera, and he uh, he probably uh, probably said a bit more than he wanted to, but it was going good copy anyway. Yeah,
0: classic interview. And outside of Ewood Park, your your favourite game of the decade?
1: Um, I would probably go for I think the the, the ones that you remember as as a as a non fan um, are the FA Cup finals, mm. and the one that. I always remembers is the very first one of the 90s uh Crystal Palace for Man United 3-3 um and of course in those days it went to um so that was 1990 it went to the went to replay as well I remember the replay being absolutely dull um and United won it 1-0 but I'd say that one that was the one where um Ian Wright came off the bench and scored a couple um so I'd probably say that as that was my favourite 90s FA Cup certainly and um uh, Probably my favourite 90s match that didn't involve Blackburn.
0: Yeah, good. Well, we've got John Slarko on the show in a couple of episodes, actually talking FA Cup final, so we'll remember that one. Uh, Switching to Matt, games for you as
2: well. Your favourite Nottingham Forest game of the 90s, Matt. Um, I'm actually going to go for one, which I didn't attend, which is a bit weird, but um, just because of what it meant to Forest, it's from the season before the one we're going to talk about today. Uh, We won 3-2 away at Peterborough which was the game um, in which we secured promotion back to the Premier League after a year away. We went behind early on, but Stan Collymore got two brilliant goals and Stuart Pearce scored as well. And it got to 2-2. We still needed to win. All the Forest fans came onto the pitch. London Road, obviously small ground, old school ground, you know, terraces and what have you. And it was three quarters Forest that day. Uh, all the Forest supporters spilled onto the pitch in excitement, not realising we still need, needed another goal So Stuart Pearce literally ushered the supporters back into the seats in a way that only he could have done. Um, And yeah, it was Pete Collymore as well. The sort of goals, the goals that he scored were very typical of the goals that he got for Forrest uh, in those days, which was sort of pick the ball up, back to goal on halfway, beat two defenders and then shoot from the edge of the box and just power it into the net. But just the fact that it meant that we were back in the Premier League after only a season away, and we'd had a really poor season start to the season. It took a really sort of late run at it to get automatic promotion, and uh, yeah, that was the day that we sealed it. So I'll always remember that.
0: Oh, good one, good one, Peter Brown, I didn't think that to come um, outside of the City Ground. Then uh, your favourite game of the nineties?
2: Well, this is a really, really obvious one in contrast to that. But uh, I think I'm going to have to go for Man United beating Bayern Munich in the Champions oh, okay. League final, just for the fact uh, you know, of the way that the game finished. Obviously, was amazing. Also, it's the first time that an English club have won the European Cup slash Champions League since 1984. So, you know, it was a, an end to that weight But yeah, I mean, the, the finish of the game was just extraordinary, wasn't it? And it was good that you know so many English players, Beckham and the Nevilles, etc., all got to win that trophy as well.
0: Not many people have picked that one actually, which is surprising because maybe it's the Man United thing. But yeah, it was you know amazing. I was doing my uh, geography coursework when I was when I was watching that, if I remember rightly. <laughs> Well, not <laughs> doing it, more like. But, and then, finally, <laughs> Richard, uh, we couldn't remember where we were with your CV, so I've just chucked kits at you, So, which I do to a lot of people anyway. So, your favourite Liverpool kit
3: from the 90s? This is a bit of a tough one, actually. Um, but I think, probably, to the you have to go for your first one, which is, um, coincidentally, the one with award in this season. The, um, the, the this one with the three strikes up the side of the... Um, mm. At the bottom half of the of this year, it came out the season before, it was um, worn at the 94 World Cup quite extensively, I think it was Romania, Norway, Sweden and someone else, I forget the yeah. country, excuse me now, but they all had this, this, I know we're not big fans of templates on this podcast, but that was kind of the one template I could really get on board with because it was... It was obviously the first kit I had. Um, the away kit was quite nice as well for that one, the uh, the white one with the green sleeves. But yeah, um, they
0: wore that on the opening I day, had, didn't they? Against Palace, wasn't it on the opening day if I remember rightly? They wore that one.
3: Yeah, that was that was the, the one memory I have. But they, they wore it I think the season before because they had this crazy notion in the nineties that you could have a, a home kit and away kit for more than one season without it being um, <laughs> exactly <laughs> punished for. But um, yeah, I think that that one, and especially with the memories with, with the final days well, around the League Cup final earlier in the season. I think that one had to be the one for me.
0: Yeah. No, we don't like... I like the fact there's new kits every year. I'm I'm new school in that fact because it just means more new kits. But outside of the, the Anfield kit cupboard then, what would you say would be a, a plethora to choose from in the 90s, obviously?
3: What would be your favourite kit? This is a bit of a strange one because this is another template design as well. It was... Um, but obviously not in this, this country. It was um, when Kappa went through a phase of sponsoring all the major European clubs. Yeah. They had a... Um, it was the Barcelona kit from... I think it was... I think it was this season or the season before um, that had the um, the two-tone colours and it ran through the collar. It had and they had it on quite a few um, designs. I fancy Bilbao like had that similar design with the, um, the the V-neck and the collar, and it was quite a nice, a nice look and very kind of very of that time in Spanish football. And I got it a bit. I think a made of mine through. I was an old Barca kit a year after it <laughs> came out, so I was made up to get hold of that for. I think I paid about five for it because it was nearly new. So. That one's always got uh, memories for me as well because it was the last one that, um, that the the dream team wore before the, they were disbanded, allowed to go to, to Real Madrid and, and so forth.
0: Mm. I, I think you'll get a lot of money for that kit now. Yeah, good choice. Good choice. Right, we need to get going because 94 95 was a very eventful season. Um, I've called it in my intro the crescendo because it very much was including the end at Anfield. So, start at the beginning though, May United were going into the new season as reigning champions. They were favourites again. Blackburn obviously not quite a run them close the season before, but were there the bouts. But John, did you go into the season thinking that you could win the league? I know we, they signed Chris Sutton for 5 million, which was a record transfer at the time.
1: Was that still, or did you think you'd just go close again? Um, It's hard to, it's hard to think back as to your exact thoughts at that time. But I remember, I, I, I remember we we, we were, we, we had a really good team. Um, we always seemed to, and in fact, we got beat by United twice that season. Mm. We we always seem to, on the day, you know, not be quite up to to, to scratch um, in terms of um, in terms of of, of of comparing us to United. So I don't think any Blackburn in their wild, any Blackburn fan in their wildest dreams has ever gone into any season thinking we're going to win the, the league. You know, as in as in the the, the Premier League um, this season. But we were good, and we we had we had. I mean, in Shira, we had the best striker in in, in the land. Um, Sutton had scored a load of goals the season before. We'd broken the transfer record. I think everyone went into it thinking we're a good team here. But, I you know, it's hard. It, it, even then, even looking back, I don't think many Blackburn fans thought we're better than Man United. Um, so, and, and I think I think the proof was in... In the pudding, when we, when we played them, we, we, usually, we usually got beat by them, actually. So, um, no, I don't think we, we did. But but having said that, I think, I think most of us thought we won't be that far away. Mm. Well, you weren't, really. And you were
0: top. Newcastle, was it, who came out of the traps, um, they were top until November. Yeah. Um, and then Blackburn, yeah. pretty much, from that point on, so they beat, actually, QPR 4-0 at the end of November, which when they went top of the league for the first time. And then, other than a yeah. small blip in January, it was you were top, although the title race was close, when was the point in the season that you thought, hang on, we really could be in
1: with a shout now I think um, I think you, you, I, again it's, it's kind of hard to hard to think back because most of the time you're just looking over your shoulder terrified because as yeah. soon as you start thinking about yeah, it's, it's probably the Leic- Leicester fans as well from last season it, when you're being chased. Down by Manchester United. I don't think there's, any, is it, there's ever a moment you think we've got this in the bag or we we could win this. But I think looking back, you know, our, our home form was, was was amazing. Obviously, they lost Cantona, uh, which we, we may well talk about. Um, and um, I think that was probably a, a big moment when they when they lost when they lost Cantona. Um, but again, I, I remember I remember playing them at, at at Ewood Park. We got beat. We got beat four two. Um, somewhat unjustly, Henning Berg got sent off just before half time, and they got a penalty. Um, but they've been as 4-2 four, four So even when you started believing, you you, you kind of came unstuck. But I, I guess you know, around sort of that Easter time, you start thinking we we could win this. But I I just remember being petrified the whole time. To, <laughs> perfectly honest with you, it wasn't that enjoyable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's just bring in the other guys before we talk about the famous last day. I mean, Matt, were you? I mean, Man United weren't the neutrals team at that point, were they? It was all about Blackburn. Do you remember this team growing throughout the season?
2: Yeah, too, Blackburn were actually one of um, very few teams who actually beat Forest Home and Away this season. Um, so I, I remember that and, and thinking how good they were. And as you say, Man United definitely weren't the neutrals team yeah. at that time. So everybody wanted Blackburn to win the league that season, and. And they were—I mean—they were such a such an attractive team, but they they really had players of sort of courage. I think is a nice way to put mm-hmm. it. You know, you think the likes of Sutton and Shearer obviously you've got the headlines, but mm-hmm. also people like Colin Hendry and Tim Flowers and Tim Sherwood as well it was a really good spine to that team, wasn't there? So you felt like yeah, you, you referenced the um, the Tim Flowers bottle interview, and you you felt like it wasn't really something that was ever going to happen to Blackburn because they had that strength of character in them and I remember that Newcastle game as well where they did get batted but did win 1-0 and, and that sort of nicely illustrated that
1: point mm-hmm. Yeah, they had a lot of captains if I just say that, I always get a bit obsessed with captains in football teams but if you look through that that Blackburn team they had Shearer, Sutton um, Colin Hendry, Henningberg Tim Flower, um, Tim Flowers Tim Sherwood was obviously the, the club captain. They had a lot of leaders in
0: there as well. And David Batty, of course, as well. Even, well, even, he, he was injured for a lot of yeah.
1: it. P- people sort of forget that. But yeah, Dave, when when he was around as well, he he, he was another one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Richard, obviously, you're no fan of Man United, especially growing up. But um, obviously, King Kenny was manager of Blackburn. We'll talk about the final day in a second. But I imagine, as Liverpool fan, you were rooting for Rovers all the way through. <laughs>
3: funnily enough um, probably I, I didn't really it was kind of my first season kind of, of going to games regularly so it was kind of trying to learn learn the ropes you know and and, and kind of f- just focus on one team I mean as you get older you focus on on other teams and obviously mm. towards the end you start to you start to look at you know who can who can win it who can nick it off United and that sort of thing and you know Blackburn were always always going to be a full to be reckoned with with the walkers millions behind them um, and I think as we saw you know United had that um, push in '93, and the year before they'd been beaten by Leeds, who no one really expected to cut to um to win the title. If we're being honest, who kind of did have a few fallow years, hadn't he, in the post uh, revy era, and and then out of nowhere came and won the title. So there's that always that belief that you could get at United's. It was just a case of would somebody and with the the millions that, that Walker spent, um, it wasn't actually your modern um, assembly of a title-winning team, really, because he wasn't throwing. You know, eight figure sums at, you know, he wasn't throwing 10 million at at, for the Sutton deal. He wasn't, you know, throwing in um, Tim Flowers and Tim Sherwood at, you know, 8 million pieces and that sort of thing that we've seen in this country with City and Chelsea in recent years. Um, So I think it was probably the perfect time for someone to catch United. I think we just didn't realise that United would pull away even stronger after that, though.
0: Mm. Right. It it, it did go down to the last day. Um, Everybody knows what's happened. Blackburn were at Anfield. May and I were at Apton Park. Uh, The the results went Blackburn's favour. But just tell us about that afternoon, John, from a fan's perspective and the topsy-turvy day that it was, going ahead, going behind, all the shenanigans that was happening at Upton Park. It was one hell of a day, wasn't it?
1: It was. um, I can tell you exactly where I was. I was at the um, end-of-season awards ceremony for my football club. I was about 13. I was playing in the under-13s team at the time. And it was held in a... In a bar, and um, effect, effectively they, they, had the, they had the TV on. And uh, my overriding memory of the day isn't how isn't how I felt particularly. It was my dad. Now my dad's obviously a bit older than me. He 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 would enjoyed he enjoyed a, a lot of the hard times, uh, you know, before before Jack Walker came along and, and and made us into into the force we were. And in the middle of all, of everything that was going on and all these Man United fans, he was just sat there on a chair in the middle of the room, almost on his own, just in silence, um, <laughs> just a bag of nerves. Um, and that's my overriding memory of the day, actually. Um, more than sort of it, it going one way or the other. And, 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 then, uh, and then at the end, him just, him just being sort of um, over the moon about it. But um, yeah, I mean, w- w- we... Talking about bottle, we'd almost bottle. We had almost bottled it. We'd lost to Man City. I think it was the last, about the fifth game from the end. We lost to West Ham away, which we, which I was at. Um, Don Hutchinson scored, and that was the third to last game. And then and then obviously um, uh, it, it came down to that last last game. I, I, I remember it being an awful an awful day. I, I think it. It's probably, you know, I, I dare say if he speaks to Man United fans about. About beating mine by by Munich, now they'd say it was the best day of their lives. But you know, when you're going through it, it's awful. And and I remember it just being awful. And I, <laughs> and, and as I say, it best I can best describe it as my dad just sitting there for two hours or ninety minutes, or whatever, just sitting in the middle of this awards ceremony, just in silence, just watching the telly, just tran- you just you just couldn't move. Um, that's probably the best way I could describe it. It was just, it, yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, you know, it was. It wasn't great. <laughs> It wasn't great. And obviously. Um, it, every, everyone, everyone was focusing more on, on what was going on at West Ham by the end of it, and, um, and all the chances that and Andy Cole, bless him, was missing.
0: Yeah, I think he's Sir Andy Cole in Blackburn, isn't he? These days. It,
1: well, <laughs> well, he, he is. He, he's, he's done pretty well for us because he, he effectively won us the title that year. And then, he, then he, once we signed him in the first year, we signed him, we won the uh, we won the League Cup. So uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, not, he's all right. Is Andy Cole? As far as <laughs> we right don't let
0: Andy Cole. Uh, Richard, the I mean, obviously the Anfield connection and, Ke- and Kenny Dalglish. I always remember on the radio that morning and listening to Liverpool fans going to the game, saying they don't want their team to win. They want to stop Man United. There was Liverpool fans wearing Blackburn stars There's that famous picture of the fan grabbing Kenny Dalglish at the end to say, "You've won the league." Was it a, as a Liverpool fan? Was that a bizarre feeling? A
3: bizarre experience? Um, it's interesting because I think uh, it, I think probably that was probably the first time uh, it's. We encountered probably fake news as we know it because there was all these um, whispers going around at every sport shop in Liverpool. So that's a Blackburn church on, on the Sunday morning. I mean, you couldn't have, fa- you couldn't have found anything other than Liverpool and everything on Merseyside sports shops, really. So that was that one was doing around. And then obviously people were saying they wanted um, it's sort of that my enemy's enemy is my friend sort of thing. Um, you know, we'd rather Blackburn wouldn't have United. Similar to probably when Manchester City beat United in the the past decade that we're in now, um, but it, it was strange because I was kind of at that age where I I just wanted Liverpool to win regardless it was sort of it was Liverpool winning or there's no point in even having the discussion you know why would you want your team to lose um, but the way I was I was actually at the game um, on the final day I was actually in the um, in the main stands and it's it was interesting because there was that sort of surreal atmosphere that sort of people you know um, it, well when Shearer scored I mean everyone was actually it was surreal. People were actually celebrating in the home end because Shearer had scored and you thinking, You just scored against your team. I mean, at the age of seven years old, coming up to eight, I was just a bit bit perplexed by it. I kind of didn't understand the whole, you know, strategic um, strategic support that, that, that comes with with on these days. But, um, it was a surreal atmosphere as well because, obviously Liverpool went ahead um, with the Redknapp goal after be pulled level and um, a, a weird quiet came over the ground. It was kind of people still celebrated but there was like a very strange atmosphere to it and then when the news filtered through about West Ham um, holding Man United just, it, it was, I've never seen anything like it the players been players particularly were just running around it was, it was like, it was like, um, like a, a real life game with Bulldog they were just running around the pitch with no sense of direction just running around absolutely off the heads and the, you know the other players were looking a bit perplexed when the game's going on still we've still got five minutes um, and that was, that was the kind of how it all played out. I mean, as as you say, it probably wasn't the for a Blackburn fan. It probably wasn't the ideal scenario. Um, but in terms of you know, for the for the thrill seekers, for your neutrals, and, and probably for those of us who who had a bit more of a, an axe to ground with Uniteds back then than than other clubs, uh, it, it was just a great spectacle. But looking back, it was a very surreal one for me. Mm.
0: Lastly, didn't Matt. I mean, as a neutral like me, I remember the day being surreal. I think Sky Sports showed both games. May have been for the first time. Um, and and, yeah. what, and what happened at, at Apton Park and the, the penalty shouts and Andy Cole missing every possible chance he could. I mean, what are your memories of that famous day?
2: I, I certainly remember it being the first time. I remember reading in the uh, in the Sunday papers that morning about how it was like a TV revolution. You know, you had the the picture in picture for for I think the first time ever as well. You know, they kept. I was watching the um, the Liverpool Blackburn game, but they kept showing in you know in a small box. Ludek McClosco making ridiculous save after ridiculous save. Um, I remembered the, um, who scored the, was it Barnes or Redknapp who scored a free kick for Liverpool? It was Redknapp, Redknapp, yeah. Redknapp, And, and and just seeing the sight of the supporters behind the goal and sort of half of them cheering and half of them not, and it being really, really strange. But, you know, as I say, all the neutrals were on Blackburn's side. So it was, yeah, it was my main memories of that day, of that goal. Um, the Blackburn fan who they cut to with the sunglasses and the big teeth, who was swearing <laughs> yeah. on camera, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and Andy Cole and McClosco, basically—that's that's what I remember of that death. Yeah, <laughs> and it well,
0: it wasn't—it was meant to be from Blackburn. In the end, it was uh, that defeat didn't matter. The two, they won the league by a point. The first for eighty-one years, Alan Shearer yep. scored thirty-four goals and was named PFA Player of the Year. I mean, outside of that terrible ending in terms of, you know, your nerves, it pretty much was a perfect season for Blackburn in terms of had the best player, the best team and a manager
1: that everybody loved. It was, I think, I think people kind of, it's a bit unfortunate what happened on the last day because people sometimes think that we kind of fluked it and, and we didn't fluke it. We were, we, 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 we were the, we, we were, we, I think we were the outstanding team. I think the only argument you can make against us is we got United beat us twice, but I could I could go chapter and verse how we were cheated both times, but we won't go into that. But we, we were we were a really good attacking team. We scored loads of goals at home. We we were putting three, four, five goals past people very very regularly. Um, we had the two best centre forwards. Um, I think we probably had the two best wingers that year as well. You know, w- Will Cooks and Ripley were so underrated, um, and we were pretty good at the back. Um, we, we, at that time, we were shocking in the cups. Uh, that would be the only the only thing you could go back. We got beat by Trelleborg in the uh, in the UEFA Cup, somewhat famously, and then um, can't remember who who put us out in in the cup that year. But I, I think I think they were so focused on the league by the end of it that 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 just kind of um, that, that that just that, that was just sort of went by the wayside. But it was a perfect season in in, in many ways, and, and and it's hard to it's hard to believe it. It, it it even happened at times. You know, when you when you look look at where we are now, but. Um, yeah, that that team I think will always always have a really special place in every single Blackburn Rover, Rovers fans' heart. People like yeah, people like Mark Atkins as well. Mark yeah. Atkins played so so many games in central midfield. And he was such an unsung hero. Um, you know, Ian Pierce, Jeff Kenner, these guys they were they were they were real unsung heroes and and um, really made a difference for us that year. I think.
0: Well, I hope we've cheered some Blackburn fans up with that. That's that's a slightly segue. Also, Mark Atkins, though, he follows us on Twitter, and I've been trying to get him on the show. So, if you're listening, Mark, come on the show. Answer my answer my DMs. Um, but that's like sort of segue <laughs> to uh, to Man United. You mentioned it earlier, John. But let's talk to the other guys uh, about the. Well, we can't not talk about the famous one of the most famous incidents in any decade. Twenty fifth January, nineteen ninety five, Selhurst Park. Eric Cantona, Richard Shaw, Richard Simmons, Kung Fu kick. Matt, talk to me.
2: Yeah, what a what a weird weird incident it was. Um, obviously, everybody remembers the um, the Canton line about the seagulls following <laughs> the trawler, uh, which was just magnificent. But it's a strange one, really, because I mean, not in terms of a kung fu kick, but it's almost odd that that's the first time that a player has reacted to a supporter having a go at them. When you think about what they have to put up with, sometimes, mm-hmm. which goes well beyond the um, the realms of what's acceptable. But just a bizarre, bizarre moment. And I remember the um what would, you you said the name of the guy who he kicked at. Richard Simmons, yeah. Richard Simmons and, and him saying something no, along Matthew, the lines sorry. of Matthew Simmons, it's Richard Shaw, Matthew Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> he said his, he said something along the lines of, Oh, I said to him, Go on, Cantonar, get off, get off. It's an early back <laughs> for you. <laughs> like yeah. No, you didn't. You definitely <laughs> didn't say that. Uh, just as the sort of, the condemnation of Cantona, which was acceptable, but I think was in part due to the fact that he played for Man United, to be honest. I think uh, people were quite keen to um, to criticise, whereas really you can have a little bit of empathy for him, but it was just a, i mean, it was, a, it was a mark of Cantona's sort of individuality, I suppose, isn't it? He was the only player who would have done something like that, I think. Um, Rich what what
0: do you remember from from that I mean it, I remember Jonathan Pearce's commentary and him in typical JP style at the time on Capital Gold going absolutely bananas for, about it when I was listening to it but uh, I mean what do you remember I mean do you agree with Matt's sentiments there
3: yeah I do totally agree I think I think there was kind of a bit of a witch hunt there against Cantona because he was a bit different he was you know I even mean, when he starts he came to England he didn't actually train on outdoor pitches did he when he had his trial at Chef Wednesday so you know he was always a bit of a maverick, and I think there was that sort of. I mean, it it sounds strange now, but it probably probably would have been acceptable these days. That sort of you know blame it on you know condemn the foreigner sort of thing, and yeah, it was it was strange. I mean, I didn't hear the peers commentary till uh, many years later, and as you say, it, it's it's quite an iconic moment. Um, the thing I remember about it was it seems to be uh, it sets off a bit of a team reaction in football but at that that incident because, you know what it's like when you, when you're young you go to school and you know yeah. You you, you get ready to GMTV in the background and everything that seemed to be on was about football and you, you'd think that'd be great. Back then it was horrible because that was the, the, the start of, you know, football being on the front pages for the wrong reasons again. You know, we had the England-Ireland trouble yeah. a month later. But looking just at the incidents, it incident, I do think it was probably a bit a bit hearty-treated. And as you say, the, the lad who, who he, he kicked it wasn't really... Um, wasn't really being that genuine, was he, with what he said? And I think it came out later on, I did a bit of research into this when, I think it was the 20th anniversary of when it happens, so a couple of years ago, it, um, I, I looked into this with the guy's credentials, and he's been in prison a few times, I think, but he's had restraining orders or anti-social orders against him, so he wasn't really an upstanding citizen by by any stretch anyway. Um, but as you say, it's the sort of thing that people have to put up with, and you know, the restraint they have to show now, Obviously with a bit of training um from the clubs helped massively. But I mean that was probably the first time we've seen players uh, for once the better way to lose it. I don't think cancel probably lost it. I think there's me- may have been a bit of m- a bit of measured um aggression in there, but you know, launching feet first into into a stand full of people to get a one person, I mean it was a little bit even any it was a bit out of step with society, wasn't it?
0: He was, absolutely. He was fined two weeks wages by the club and banned until the end of the season. Uh, then the FA fined him £10,000 and extended the ban to the September of that year. You'll remember, we'll talk about his comeback against Liverpool on the next show. Um, he was also found guilty of assault, but avoided a prison sentence and instead did 120 hours of community service. I mean, John, obviously that fell in your favour, as you mentioned earlier. Um, do you think that was a fair punishment for, for Cantona? Or do you think they were, had was that a little bit of sympathy with what they have put up with, like the guy said?
1: Um... <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, I think actually it's probably, I, I would probably disagree slightly. I think if you did that in the street, you'd probably, you, you, you'd get charged by the police. Um, I think as a football, as a football ban, I, I, I can't really, so what, what was it, effectively nine months, you say, something like that. Yeah. Um, it I don't think I don't. I think if you did that now, you'd probably get just as harshly treated. I, I think it was probably about about fair. It had a massive it had a massive impact on that season. I don't think I don't think you can analyze our our success. You know, we won the league by one point, one solitary point. And you know, if you if you look back and you think that that was their he was their talisman at the time. He was their um, he was he was their best player. It may well have been different. We'll never know, but um, yeah, I think it's probably about a fair punishment. You can't go around to, you, can't, you can't go around kicking people in the front row, even if they're uh, uh, slightly obnoxious. And even if you are at Canton, a couple
0: of other bits. Ma- yeah. yeah, exactly. A couple of other little Man United tidbits. It was the season they beat Ipswich nine nil. Um, Andy Cole famously scoring five goals, and of course it was the Andy Cole transfer that season that kind of shocked football. Kevin Keegan standing on the steps of St James, I remember it happened in January. He went for seven million pounds. And Keith Gillespie going the other way. Uh, main up, we're part of the Chasers. That's quickly talked. We've got Matt on for a reason. Um, we're talking Nottingham Forest because they were kind of in and about the whole season. They had some great results, including one at Old Trafford. That Forest team, stark contrast to the one that went down uh, two seasons earlier, Matt, that we spoke about a couple of shows ago. I mean, that's a, I mean I've, got a, I've said this before. I've got a right soft spot for that Nottingham Forest team. Steve Stone, Brian Roy, Stan Collymore. For you, best team possibly you've seen of at least your generation?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm always, um, you know, sad that I missed out on the generation that my mum went to the European Cup finals. I, I've never had anything like this. So this was by far the best Forest team that, that I've ever seen. There wasn't that much in terms of um, in terms of additions. It, the, the main transfers that we made were actually in, in um, what was then Division One the season before, people like Colin Cooper coming in. Um, but the main... Difference in the team or the main addition that we did make was Brian Roy, who came in from Foggia for two and a half million and and he and Stan Collymore immediately hit it off. Forrest didn't lose a game till October, actually. They won six of the first eight and they won seven one away at Sheffield Wednesday, which at the time was the biggest ever away win in Premier League history. And we actually lost that record ourselves by losing eight one at home to Man United in 1999. Um, um, Yeah, that was. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not good. Um, but we, as you say, we also won an old trap of that season. We won 4-1 at Spurs and 2-0 at Chelsea, which, you know, if you say that now, it just sounds ridiculous. We were, what, 12 points behind Blackburn in the end, so we're never really in it in terms of a title challenge. But for a promoted team to do that in their first season, obviously qualified for the UEFA Cup as well because of finishing third, it was a, it was a brilliant season. And, and Brian Roy in particular was a real find. I mean, it, you know, Jürgen Klinsmann took the headlines in terms of foreign signings that summer, but Roy was just as impactful, I think, in, in what he did for Forest. Mm. Quick
0: mentions to the other guys on Forest because we, we've got to rattle through some other things. But um, Rich, you remember that Forest team? They were great to watch, weren't they?
3: Yeah, well, they were. Um, they were so great. We actually found stand there, uh, the striker, didn't we?
0: Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, were so much,
3: big stand. Um, obviously, didn't work out too well for us in the long term. But you know, he had the, the ability. Then um, they were a decent side. And look at Stuart Pearce, was still, you know, able to. I think he was. He's trolley p- past his peak there. I mean, obviously he had that little renaissance at Euro '96, but he could still, still offer something there. And as I say Brian Roy was was a revelation as well. I mean, when you look at that that squad that Frank Clark took over on the back of, of Brian Clough getting them relegated and and then taking them back off. I mean, to do to, it to with with a team that was basically in the flames um, when it went down and it, you know was the end of an area It was end of a End of a, a dynasty, really, uh, with Clough retiring and with Forrest going down. It was kind of, you thought, how did he come back from this? You've seen lesser clubs um, go through worse. I mean, look at Man United in, in this millennia with Alex Ferguson. They haven't really recovered. And, you know, it, Liverpool with the boot room as well. So, to do what Clark did with Forrest, I think there was tremendous credit.
0: Mm. Had a great away kit that season, Matt, as well, didn't you? I remember the, uh, is it the purpley, bluey, greeny thing? That was lovely, I remember Yes, Yes, yeah, yeah, one. that
2: was what we were wearing when we were in Old Trafford. Yeah. Lovely kit.
0: Um, you mentioned Jürgen Klinsmann there, and I'll come to John. I mean, signings wines that took the headlines. £2 million from Monaco. What a bargain, Jürgen Klinsmann, one of the biggest transfers in Premier League history in terms of profile at that time. I mean, I
1: couldn't believe you would signed for Spurs. John, could you at the time? No, I don't think I could, and, and I, I was thinking about that, actually, um, before this, and you I think we've got so blasé now. You know, the best best players just come to the Premier League now, and you know, uh, maybe other other than um, you know Barcelona, Real Madrid, two or three other clubs, it, the big clubs in England kind of have, have the pick pick of the players. Really, um, at that time, it was quite unusual. Um, most of the big players were s- still sort of going to Italy um, and 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 Spain, and and yeah, I, I remember I remember he, that being sort of. One of the first major signings that, that really made you go, "Wow, you know this this guy's this guy's coming to play in England," um, and he, he did have a reputation as a, as, a, as a bit of a diver. So so that was uh, that, that was something else to sort of look forward to. But he he was he was one of the best strikers around at the time, and um, um, and yeah, it was an, another another uh, sort of failed attempt for uh, for Tottenham to. Uh, to to, to to break into the, uh, the, the the sort of big time, they never quite managed it. Bless them, but um, but yeah, well, um, I do remember I do remember it, and I remember being very excited about um, about him coming over. Yeah, he was he was such a, such a big name, such a big player, and um, he had a, had a fairly big reputation as well.
0: Yeah, I guess it was. I mean, it was a success for Jurgen himself, I guess, because he scored 30 goals that season, including that that debut goal at Hillsborough where they were in that beautiful purple kit. Almost made my top five when we did top five kits of the 90s with John Devlin and did the diving celebration that John alluded to there. And he went on to have a, a great season for Spurs. Not quite... Uh, all round for Tottenham because the ID list was soon sacked and replaced by Jerry Francis. We didn't help my QPR team saying that, but I remember the signing. It was it was amazing because I think it was like £2 million or something to see this superstar coming back off the, the 1994 World Cup in the Premier League. It really did open the floodgates that we'll talk about in, in further pods to different players and big names coming to the Premier League. Um, he left at the end of the season to go to Bayern Munich. He was only there for one season. I mean, Alan Sugar famously saying he's washing his car with his shirt and all that. Um, although he did sign him again uh, a few years later, which we'll talk about. But massive, massive signing. We're going to give the lads a quick break there and go into our interview today. 94-95 um, wasn't a great season for this guy and his team, uh, Crystal Palace. But we we kind of don't dwell on that. We talk more about the earlier part of the 90s when he made the FA Cup final in 1990, right at the start of the decade. Uh, also played for England, his England caps and for Coventry. its former winger talking to me early today on the live and kicking, John Solarco. Hello, John. Welcome to the show. Hi. Good to have you on. Um, you've got the boots back on I hear, uh football whistles event today. How's that going?
4: Yeah, no, it's fantastic. We are here, here at the MK Dons Stadium, which is absolutely incredible facilities. Um, you know, pitch looks magnificent. Every opportunity we try and get the boots back on and maybe try and roll back the years. <laughs>
0: Always good. Let's take you back then to those years. Uh, we'll, as we always do on the, on AK 90s, back to the 1990s. Then you were involved of course in in the first FA Cup final of the decade, the first one I really remember as well. And for you, as a what 22 were you at the time? Year old?
4: How was that experience? I was, yeah, absolutely incredible, absolutely incredible. You know, we we sort of as a kid uh, a couple of years earlier, I'd seen Wimbledon beat Liverpool, which was an incredible feat. Uh, but the FA Cup final um, for... Anyone of my generation, and certainly me, who. And, you know, it it was just for us to be there against Man United was just an absolute dream come true. And it's one of those finals that
0: people still look on Fondly because it was a really good game, especially the the first game, the the three all draw at, at Wembley. I mean, what was that like to play in? Ian Wright coming off the bench. Amazing game.
4: Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of people do talk about that. I mean, the, the semi-final against Liverpool, who were effectively the biggest team at the time, we beat them 4-3 at, at Villa Park uh, and to get through to the final. And then on that Saturday, we we were leading, um, you know, 3-2 and, you know, it was a ding-dong um, end-to-end match. Uh, six minutes to go, you know, like right, said, right, he comes on, scores one of the best goals I've ever seen in the cup final when he turns Palace down and, then, you know, I'd i make that cross, he scores at the far post and, and we're in dreamland. And we think you've just gotta hold out and then Mark Hughes equalises and breaks our heart. And of course we come back for the replay on the Thursday and you know, it was a dower, it wasn't quite you know, it wasn't anywhere as exciting. Uh man you do enough to win uh, and Sir Alex Ferguson it, the rest of his history, isn't it? Uh,
0: indeed. Yeah. Do you think that little bit of experience in the in the main team just got him over the line in that second game?
4: No, absolutely. You know, what What you always know is the underdogs, uh, you have that one chance, uh, and it's usually in that first game, to win to surprise uh, the bigger team where they don't quite play as well. But obviously, drawing on a Saturday, this Saturday was our time, chance to win that. You know, Thursday, they, they had their game heads on. You know, they, they, they knew what they had to do. And I, I do think that, you know, we dipped. We certainly didn't perform to anywhere near uh where we were on on the saturday and and you know they did you know they knew what it was about and they were able to get over the line so fair credit to them
0: How is your view for someone who played in the FA Cup final in, in that decade to the way it's viewed now
4: do you feel, feel a little bit sad that it's lost a little bit of its luster oh absolutely look you know i still believe it's the, it's the greatest club cup competition in the world and you know the history the way um seems like sutton can be in the quarterfinal, mm. final Lincoln. you know when you have cup runs, it's a chance for the non-league boys to go and play against the pros, and you know the amount of times it happens, it's the, you know it is there to dream. It is when football is at its best. Um, You've got big teams going to small grounds, Arsenal going to Sutton. It's just it's fairy tale stuff, and you know when I grew up, you know the semi-finals were massive games, and and the cup final was a whole day event. You know you sort of saw the players right from the hotels in the morning. there was this massive build-up to the game. It was the biggest game of the, of the season, and it's it's sad. You know, I am sad, but time moves on. You know, Champions League is what it's all about now, you know, and, you know, the top-end Prem stuff is massive all around the world, so, you, you know, there's, there's so many big games, but, you know, I still think the FA Cup holds a very special place in most people's hearts, and it, it certainly does in mine, and, you know, I still think it is special, and, and you know, you know, the the Arsenal Chelsea game is going to be is going to be a spectacular game. Mm. That team, you say, it moved on to next season. You had a great season nineteen ninety one when you
0: finished third in the league. And yeah. did that really give you the kick on that cup final? And as a group,
4: what what, what did that team have though, that yeah. made it so no, good that season? The, no, that's exactly it. I think that galvanised that squad. I think it brought everyone together. It gave us the belief and the desire. I think we all wanted more. I think we all wanted to go out. We we were like, well, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, you know, you know, we we can do this. You know, we're good. You know, you, people like Righty and Brighty, stature, you Jeff Thomas, you the great. You know, Nigel minds, You were like, hey, you know, we 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 could play this. You know, we we could do something. And you know, we finished third. And, and that was the year Liverpool were banned, and they let, let Liverpool back in. Otherwise, we'd have been in Europe. Uh, and it's a, it's just a massive shame because you know the year after Leeds finished fourth. And I can remember Ian Wright we were talking about it, and Ian Wright said, look, if there's heavy investment in the team, you know, I'll stay. But, you know, they sort of decided they didn't really need, you know, Steve Coppell and, and Rondo's decided they didn't really need too much. The year That year, um, Leeds finished fourth, and they bought DeRigo, Cantona, and Wallace. And they won it the year after. And, you know, you look at things like that, and I think a little bit of investment, mm. and, you know, maybe kept right for another year or a couple of years, you know, it could have been different and we went down. I got injured, I did, I did my knee that that, that, that Christmas. Um, righty left, we went down. And, you know, righty went on to be an incredible, you know, absolute legend at Arsenal. Good luck to him. Um it's just a shame I didn't get that move. <laughs> <laughs> what you did do though, and something I always remember as well, he scored
0: an incredible goal against Nottingham Forest in,
4: in the FA Cup
0: when he used to do about six or seven replays, whatever it was back then. Do you remember that goal and was it
4: like yeah, no, yards, or wasn't it? Yeah, that's my favourite goal um incredible yeah It was nine minutes um of a, of, a, of a third round FA Cup tie at Forest Ground against the top top Forest side um and I can remember Mark Crossley came out miskicked it. I sort of controlled it just inside the halfway line mm. I kicked inside Roy Keane and then lobbed Crossley and you know it was just magical really and and, and in a lot of ways yeah that was my favorite and probably most special special goal I scored
0: Palace became a bit of a yo-yo team, didn't they, in the mid '90s? I think you mentioned
4: you had a bad luck of injury, and then they suffered
0: from the four teams going down. And but you did win the championship yeah. in between. Was it a bit of a funny time to lots of ups and downs to be a Palace player and a fan at the time? It was, yeah. It
4: was just incredible. It really was. I mean, we, we, yeah, the fourth team. I think we went down on something like 47 points, and that that would be, you know, that's top half the table now. Mm. You know, and and then obviously you know we we, we then had a new team of um, your Chris Armstrong to Gareth Southgate, um, and, and we won the championship. And then we came up. Um, we got and that year we went down. I say it was the fourth team. I think Ray Houghton was in the side. We got to the semi final of both cups. Mm. And yeah. I think I can remember we drew Man United in one, Liverpool in the other was replay, and Liverpool, and another, the replay, and Liverpool yeah. in the other on the two leg. How was your luck? Because I think the other two teams really were like Millwall and Swindon, wasn't <laughs> it? You know, when you sit there looking at a draw about, oh my god, I hope we get them, and don't get many like, don't get Liverpool, and you're like thinking, oh man. I mean, just it, it would have been obviously incredible to to get to another cup final, but um, I did get to, to play there. Obviously, I went on to play for England there, so I did play there a few times.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you, you, you earned some England caps as well. I mean, that, obviously that is the, the be-all of, of achievement. How was it for you to, to put on that three-line shirt?
4: But yeah, that was it. That was every everything you'd dreamt of, everything you ever wanted. Um, you know, I could just remember when that was announced, I was in the squad and I went to Australasia. Um, and just, just being around those boys was just just the most incredible best, best thing ever. Ever. It was just... Every dream I'd ever had to just come together, and it just felt it just felt right. And then to play at Wembley against the unified German side, the world champions. Uh, I think they just won Italia '90. Um, it was it was just incredible. It was incredible. Uh, it's a dream come true. It was a fairy tale. Um, but obviously, you think you know. I just wanted more of it. And it's mm. just like that incredible drug that you thought, God, you know, or a dream that I just hoped I'd never wake up from. And unfortunately. I uh, went up to sustain a really bad knee injury. Uh, flew out to the States, had a surgery, out for ten months, and then I got back in. Got back in the England squad. Uh, I think we were heading for the well, the European Championships in Sweden, um, or, or was that? The the one after that, and obviously the World Cup in America. I think it was on the second time, and knee went again. So, and that was pretty much um, paid to the end of that that fairy tale, that dream. So, hmm. but. That's just the way it works out sometimes, and, you know, it's got to be philosophical about it, and, and you know, I'm, you know, sometimes I find myself saying to people, oh, well, yeah, I only got five England caps, and they stop me, and they go, no, 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 hang on, there. John, you got five England caps, that's precious, that's great, but, you know, so I, I try and think of it that way, and it, it was special, and, you know, you just would never swap swap that.
0: Absolutely, very special. and You should be proud of the achievement. And um, before we go, we can't mention you, you spent some time at Coventry as well. What was it like there? Um again, oh, another the mighty club, Cob. another club that kind of suffered the ups and downs in the nineties, but always premium survivors. Did you enjoy your time at
4: Highfield Road? Oh, it was incredible. Yep, yeah, signed for Ron Atkinson. I, I was, I was, I was going to sign for, for Kevin Keegan at Newcastle, and and there was a big falling out at the time, and they ended up signing to They had Fox and, 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 uh, and I was absolutely gutted. Ended up at Coventry with Ron Atkinson with people like Peter Unlove, Dion Dublin, you know, McAllister came, George Brightang, uh, Marcus Hedman in goal, David Burroughs left back, Brian Burrows right back, you know, Darren Huckabee, absolutely incredible, great room, great bunch of lads. We stayed in the Premier League, uh, for three seasons. Um, lovely part of the country, Warwick, Kenilworth, um, know, around that, you know, uh, Leamington Spa, Um had had had, my, had two of my kids there at Warwick, <laughs> Warwick Hospital. So yeah, absolutely incredible time. Loved every second of that.
0: Mm. And finally, we always ask the players on the show. I mean, who would you say of, of of that decade? who was the best you played with and the best
4: you played against? Uh without a doubt. Um, I have to say that the best player I played with was was Paul Gascoigne yeah, um, and Ian Wright, but you know Paul Gascoigne was just a genius. He was just incredible. I mean, I mean, just it's hard to describe how talented that boy was, uh, and he's he was up there. And the the when I played against the German side at Wembley, I mean Lothar Matthäus, uh, uh, it was just like a Rolls Royce. He, he was just something. He didn't even look as though he sweated or was breathing. <laughs> and he was just, he, you know, they were, you know, it was breathtaking. But, um, yeah, they they were massively, massively uh, impressive. But, you know, he stood out for me. Uh, the Brilliant. Kaiser himself, Loco Mateus. Favourite player of all time is, um Thierry Henry. Yeah, that stretches. So that's, that's the modern era. Yeah, a little, well,
0: he played in the '98 World well, Cup. We'll let that go. So, uh, thank you very much yeah. for your time, John. It's been great speaking to you. Top then. Cheers. 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 Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye. Let's get back to '94-'95 because there's still so much to talk about. And um, let's go to Merseyside now. And obviously, Rich, you're very much in vain of that. Before we talk about the blue side and that FA Cup win, Robbie Fowler. I mean, this was the season that Robbie Fowler came really into prominence for Liverpool. He scored the fastest hat trick. Well, up until, was it, Sadio Mane a couple of years ago, the fastest ever hat-trick in the Premier League at four minutes, 33 seconds against Arsenal. He won the PFA Young Player of the Year. He was hot stuff this season, wasn't he, Robbie Fowler?
3: He he was absolutely brilliant. And I mean, I was kind of fortunate, as I mentioned before about the Blackburn game. I was actually um, able to get to meet all the, the players who won the league. And, and I've still got the programme at home with uh, Robbie Fowler's old scrap on his um his Young Player of the Year out from that programme, so uh, I've, I'm, I'm a big fan of Robbie Fowler and what he was and and what he represented and still represents for Liverpool. He still is, you know, every kid who comes through or every um, player signed, he'll be the next Robbie Fowler and that that's, becomes a bit of a, a near-annual lament at Anfield, but um, it, he was blistering. I mean, you look at that, that Arthur hat trick, there was sheer instinct in there. I mean, he'd shown it this season before when um, Graham Souness was in charge with the Form 5 1, I think it was, in the League Cup, uh, when it was a two legged affair, which always baffled me, to be honest. But um, but he was brilliant, I think, as well. And I think it goes largely under the radar. The influence Steve McManaman had, obviously, had mm-hmm. it, grown up with him in the academy system, come through the YTS scheme, and obviously, figures for him was on the pitch and off it. And then mm-hmm. um, you I think Fowler's best period as a Liverpool player, and the goals he scored, coincided with him having McManaman in um, in reserve because I don't think anyone else could really hold hold a candle to him before the injuries disrupted him. I don't think Fowler with McManaman uh, flanked behind him could be beaten.
0: Mm. And, and he was—he was it was—the League Cup final that year, wasn't he? Against Bolton, that McManaman was man in the match, wasn't he?
3: Yeah, I was at that one. well, <laughs> funnily enough, um, I got to quite a few games in my first proper season of going to, to watch football uh, obviously there been a few the season before and the season before that but this was kind of where it started going quite well, habitually um, and it was a remarkable day out you know it was a sort of thing the sun was shining uh, you know it was a comfortable enough win despite what the scoreline suggested um, and you know I mean your first trip to one you can't really beat that sort of day when it's I mean it was it was unseasonably warm for April as well I seem to remember because he had it in was it April the 1st or April the 2nd they had the it was much later there, then wasn't it yeah yeah, normally and then it moved back it reversed to the, uh, the February time I think it was maybe in the season after actually yeah, when yeah. Uh, when villa beat Leeds,
0: yeah no,
3: um yes. so yeah it was um it was it was definitely a simple time and, and, a, and a different time and obviously as a Liverpool fan, you thought this might be where it's all gonna it's all gonna come back around you know the, the years in the wilderness are over and, and everything's gonna go back to as it was no more there will be restored and it never did
0: Mm. Well, before we talk Everton, just bring the other guys in and talking strikers because I think we were so spoilt when we look at those three teams. When you look at you had Fowler, there was Collymore, there was Shearer and Sutter. I mean, Matt, that was a it was such a great time for English strikers, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, just thinking back as well about Robbie Fowler. I always, from a, from a neutral perspective, feel a bit sad that he never got, never really got going with England. Like mm. he, he he was there was such a big queue in front of him, but in almost any other generation he would have been England's main striker for, for years wouldn't it? yeah this generation for sure mm.
0: yeah so and, and John with Sheer and Sutton I mean you were sport rotten up there but it really was a, a, a great time to be an English forward wasn't it in, in that period there was there were
1: others I mean obviously Andy Cole um, yeah, Les Ferdinand. Ferdinand yeah yeah Les yeah, Ferdinand um, I, I mean that I think Ferdinand scored quite a lot of goals that season, didn't he? He scored um, a great one against May
0: United. Yeah, he scored a great one against Man United at uh, Loftus Road. I think that's his favourite goal, actually. If you ever ask him, it was a rare outside the box top corner. We lost the game, but yeah, he was. I think this was the last season he was at QPR before he we went to Newcastle. So yeah, he was rare. Yeah. yeah,
1: and it was. And uh, you, you look back, it's like I, I think you get quite nostalgic with England. Now you look back at all the centre backs we had about ten years ago, you think God we. Do one of them at the moment. You know, somebody like Jamie Carragher, who barely got a look in for England. He'd walk into the England team now. And as for centre forwards, you know, Ian Wright was still around. He, he didn't get that. He did, probably didn't get as many England caps as he would now. Fowler, Ferdinand, all these guys, they'd walk straight into the team now, I think.
0: Mm. Leticia, of course, he won the goal season that year as well. That Stormer against Blackburn. I think that was the only bad thing for you guys, wasn't it, that season, really? Um, that's yeah, that was that's an incredible, incredible goal. Incredible. Absolutely incredible, incredible goal, goal, yeah. Uh, let's talk Everton then quickly. Um, I know you're a, you're a red, but you cover the blue nose these days, uh, Richard. Uh, how much is that team? I mean, it's the last major trophy Everton won—the cup against Man United. Paul Rideout's goal under Joe Royal after he replaced Mike Walker, who we talked about last time out, who was such a disaster uh, at uh, Goodison Park. But how much has that team look back on even now?
3: Well, it's still they've still got that status of you know being the last trophy winning team, and there's, there's a certain amount of. Um of a law that comes with that and a certain amount of prestige that comes for them I mean they're probably in the same vein as the as the Howard Kendall teams in the 1980s um, I mean I, I think the Mike Walker experiment was an absolute mess I mean even from the outside you could just see it wasn't going to work
0: Well I said last um, I mean, time I mean, how did he last into the new season after such a disaster of the second half of the previous season that would never happen in modern football but somehow he did
3: well, I think Peter Johnson probably just gave him the benefit of the doubt, yeah. being because Peter Johnson wasn't really, he wasn't what you'd call um, your typical Everton chairman. he wasn't like a Bill Kenwright or a John Moores or Philip Carr, you know, people who had the club's interest at heart, he, he, his roots were in, um, he was a Liverpool fan as, as, a, as a kid, he was uh, tramming share majority shareholder before he took over at Everton, and um, and it was strange the whole jo- Johnson's whole time. Everything was bizarre. I mean, he, he replaces Ed with with uh, Bad Moon Rising as the walkout music, which you know <laughs> many Evertonians haven't forgiven him for. I mean, he still, he still referred to as Aiden Johnson um, to this day. And it was just uh, the fact that Walk was allowed to stay. And I mean, Howard Kendall for all his his, um, his historical accomplishments with Everton in the eighties, he he couldn't bear to, to take charge of the club that he'd. Taken to the brink of relegation in, in, in the, in the uh, 98 season, so and he he resigned immediately. Now Walker's not that sort of person. He was very egotistical, from what the players have said at the time. He was very much a yeah, uh, you know, a, a fancy donut. I'll turn up when I want to turn up. I will turn up when the sun's shining. Um, I'll just watch the players from the car. I won't have to take any training sessions. And you know, the club was kind of it was all um, outsourced really to do with coaches. So you know, for Joe Rule to come in and to do the job he did. It, it was remarkable when you look at the, um, the players who are, who are actually at the club now as coaches, you know, David Unsworth, Joe Parkinson, Duncan Ferguson even, you know, they've got their education. Joe Rose actually back at Everton as well, funnily enough. Um, they've all got their education through the club and, the, and they're trying to favour it and that sort of is, is strengthening the tie with that, cost 95, especially with Everton now well into 2 decades without the major trophy.
0: Yeah, was a great win for them, and obviously it meant Man United didn't win anything for the first time in, in three years. That that win, I always remember the semi final as well with Daniel Amakachi against Spurs when he, they absolutely just ruined Tottenham, and they were the underdogs in that game as well. Yeah,
3: um, but that's ruined t- the um, dream final. Sorry, did, did Joe Royal made a big speech at, when he went into Elm Road and said, you know, it had a few fallout away, Jim, but basically. The pressure built up a Tottenham United final, and he went, "Well, there's your effing dream final."
0: <laughs> Always the way. That's just what you need. Uh, we must talk about Arsenal because it was a terrible, terrible season in terms of off pitch, and then it ended on even more of a sour note in the Cup Winners' Cup final. Um, but Matt, and we're all neutrals here. Let's bring Matt in. I mean, the Arsenal trouble started in November with Paul Merson admitting his addiction to alcohol, coke, and gambling. He had a three month rehab that I meant he was out. Then the George Graham affair and the the bungs and scandals he was alleged and then found guilty of. I mean, it was an absolute mess for the Gunners, wasn't it?
2: It was. It was in many ways. But as you just alluded to there, they did still reach a European final. So as a Forest fan, if that's a mess of a season, then I would gladly take (laughs) that. I mainly meant
0: off the pitch, but yeah, go on.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. the, The Paul Merson thing was really sad. He got wheeled out in front of that press conference, didn't he? In which he broke down in tears. Um, I'm not quite sure why they, they felt that he needed to do that. The George Graham thing was, was slightly different. That was just obviously really poor judgment on his part. And then it, I remember about the final. Uh, obviously, the famous thing is Naeem's goal. Mm. But um, the, when they, the players came out onto the pitch, they did this ridiculous thing, which is the only time they ever did it. They made a player from each team stand back to back. And then they shone a spotlight on them rather than the players sort of coming out and then doing the handshake thing that they normally do. So it would be, you know, for Arsenal, John Hartson and for Zaragoza, Naeem, and then the spotlight would shine when these two players stood back to back and it was just the most ridiculous thing that I've ever seen. But yeah, obviously, the (laughs) the main problem for Arsenal on that night was that they lost the match to... Uh, a last-minute fluke goal from a former Spurs player, but yeah, still, if, that, if that's a bad season, then then I'd gladly take it.
0: Yeah, as a keeper, I fan, I would too. But yeah, <laughs> I, I I was really alluding to the off-field shenanigans. I mean, George Graham had been there. Uh, for nine years, uh, John, and he was, I mean, it always makes me laugh that the bum was for a player called Paul Idenson, who we never really saw uh, to yeah. play for Arsenal anyway, and the stuff with John Jensen, yes, he scored at uh, his only goal against KPR. We won 3-1, shut up. Um, but yeah, it was, it's just a sad end to a great legacy for George Graham at Arsenal, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, and he probably doesn't get a lot of um, a lot of the the, the, the credit he, he deserves, to be honest, he's, he's one of those managers that sort of, um, that, that, that sort of almost sort of forgotten in some, some respect, not forgotten, but, um, but yeah, his, his reputation was, was, was definitely tarnished. Um, yeah, I, 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 it was, it was strange. I, I grew up around, around a lot of Arsenal fans. And at that, at that time, Arsenal were, they were sort of big underachievers really, um, as were Tottenham um, for, for a long time. And, um, and and you sort of as a as a Blackburn fan, you know, we used to go to our hybrid. Um, we used to go most seasons watch Blackburn there and and Tottenham, and you know, big big clubs, and and you you almost have to pinch yourself that that you know, the small town club in from Lancashire was were were, were sort of out achieving them really. But um, yeah, it does seem it does seem a world away when you uh, when you look back and Arsenal was, were struggling at that time, um, or, or certainly not not top top of the table anyway um but yeah sat sat in for graham and george graham anyway yeah it was indeed well
0: let's just type a little few more things from this season before we go to our newest feature that we we're, we're loving here on AK90s uh, four teams relegated that season where they did a new sort of reshuffling of the leagues. So Palace, Norwich, Leicester and Ipswich went down but only Middlesbrough and Bolton came up when they reduced the teams in the Premier League to 20 for the following season. Uh, the team of the season was Flowers, Jones, Pallister, Hendry, Lassau, Sherwood, Letitia, Ince, Klinsman, Sutton and Shearer. And as we said, the, the players of the year were Fowler and Shearer himself. So uh, anything else before we get on our players, guys, you wanted to mention, come to you first, Richard. Anything else you want to mention from 94, 95? We've got through most of everything I wanted to get through but Is there anything else you wanted to mention?
3: Yeah, just more on the uh, on these um, the change in the relegation standards. Obviously, four, four going down to coming up. I think that's probably where English football rests on its heels a little bit, and probably still does to this day. You know, teams if they get outside the bottom three, they think they're safe. Whereas back then, you know, how many teams got pulled into it? Mm. You know, and and were scrapping for survival. And you know, I think the whole top four thing as well. If you look at who finished well in that season? You know, I think it went down to I think it was the Championship play-offs to Blackburn, United, Liverpool, um, Forest, and I forget who the other team was. Um, went into the UEFA Cup, so fourth in, in UEFA, one in Championship, and then Everton went into the Cup Cup. But now it seems to be you know you basically reward for mediocrity now, and I think that's probably where the league in that season, being the last one, it kind of it reflected the standard of football rather than you know this this notion that well if we're out of the bottom three we're safe uh, and if we're in the, the, the top seven we'll get into Europe and I think that kind of bridged the gap and I think when you look at where Arsenal are now um, you know maybe they might have pushed on instead of just saying well we'll, we'll start with fourths, fourths now in Champions League because back then that would have been way anyway for Cup players I mean they weren't even in here, but it would have been if they had been
0: yeah. Leeds were the other team which they were in the top at the time. That was the really,
1: one.
0: Yeah. Um, John, anything else you'd like to say about Blackburn or we've missed in
1: 94-95? Oh no. I mean I could talk talk about this season all. I'm all sure you long. could, yeah. yes. <laughs> no, it's just it, it, it's the it's the greatest season I think I'll probably ever experience as a football fan. I I, I certainly don't expect to ever go through it ever again. So um no, it was it was amazing. I still uh, every 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 now and again get the DVD of the season's highlights out and give it a good watch. Um, it 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 was just it was just it, you know it was it was a perfect season for for Blackburn. It, it will never ever happen again. I I, I don't think. And um, I think I think we just have to try and um, remember it as um, as fondly as we can. Um, it, it was uh, I know that the players. Still talk about it now, you know, it was the only, it was the only medal Shearer ever ever really won. Um, a lot of the other ones, it was there. a lot of other players, it was the, the high, pinnacle, the highlight of their career. And um, it all, it all, it all unravelled so quickly that it just, um, I think you just have to try and focus on that season and uh, nothing after it. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. Uh, Matt yeah. Riley, coming to you, anything we haven't mentioned? Anything you want
0: to
2: mention more on Forrest? One one sort of lament that I've got um, about Forest. I mean, it didn't happen for another five years, but we, but we finished third, and obviously now that would get you into the Champions League. And I just think that the whole Forest recent history could have been dramatically different to what it has ended up being if that was the case in this season. Because obviously we would have had lots more money, lots mm. more prestige, um, and maybe we wouldn't have had to sell Stan Collingwood. So things could have been very very. Very different there, I mean, but outside of Forest, I just remember that was kind of Pete, Matt Latissier time. It wasn't was, it? yeah. And what a what a joy of a footballer he was in in every sense of the word. The fact that he didn't look like he should ever be a footballer, and and then the fact that he scored goals that were just so like that one at Blackburn, which I think is his favourite, isn't it? Because yeah. it was against his mate Tim Flowers. Yeah. For me, not quite as good as the as the two he got against um, Newcastle oh, in '93, yeah. but. He just he like had his own goal of the month competition going, didn't he? And it was just yeah. such a pleasure to watch him. Yeah,
0: The fact that he still kind of looks the same says about mm. how his style yeah. of football was as well. Um, that's stick with you, Matt, because it's time for our newest feature that we've been doing. Um, we're dredging up some names that you may forget and like we'd say, 90s players that time forgot. So go on, Matt, hit us with a name that some people may have to Google, even me
2: possibly, go on. Yeah, I'm sure you won't this one, um, <laughs> Ash, but he, he, I, yeah, I don't know why he sprang to mind when he told me about this feature, but I'm going for Georgie Kinkladzi. Oh,
0: someone on Twitter, MC Shirts, actually, keeps saying I must mention him more, but go on, wax me <laughs> about um, Georgie Kinkladzi.
2: Well, it, I mean this in the nicest possible way. He was kind of like a poor man's Lionel Messi in that he had a very similar dribbling style with the ball. He scored a, a lot of his goals from sort of individual runs, beating players. He got a famous one against Southampton. Yeah. Um, in 96, uh, he was at Man City from 95 to 98, played over 100 games, twice voted the club's mm-hmm. player of the year, he was a Georgian, uh, apparently still works in football as an agent, he worked as director of football at an orthosis in um, Cyprus as well, but just, he, it was that kind of time when Man City were in people's minds, not in the way that they are now, but because of the, because of the Oasis connection was, was a lot of it, um, and just it, the sort of, the disparity between a player like King Clancy, who was just this wonderful dribbler with the ball at his feet and then Alan Ball being his manager, you know, with the flat cap on and, and Jamie Pollock sort of dogging around in midfield. He really, really stood out, but he's, he's a, a proper Man City icon, isn't he? Because he, yeah, he, he really took the club to his heart. He stayed there when they got relegated. Um, yeah great player yeah I mean he I don't we talk about Giannino a lot on here
0: and I don't he was a, a, kind of the same vein I think Giannino was slightly better more consistent mm. um don't talk to Paul Walsh about Georgia King to go back into the archive and listen to our interview with Paul Walsh because he did not enjoy playing with him but no good name <laughs> um John give us a, a 90s name that time forgot
1: well I'm going to give you I'm going to give you two if that's oh, right and they're both cheating. from 90 yeah sorry they're both from 94 95 and they're both for, for different reasons the one, the one that um, the one that always springs to mind whenever I think about about that that the the, the squad that we had um, is Richard Wischka. Oh, okay. He was yeah. he, he was signed as a Dutch international. He came in, and um, everyone was very excited. He came in on loan. I can't, I can't remember where he came from. Actually, it may have been Ajax. Um, it was yeah, no, it was Bordeaux. He came from Bordeaux, um, and. Um, Everyone thought he was going to be the, the absolute bee's knees. He played one game all season, and uh, that was it. He went back to uh, went back to Holland, I think. He went after that, and we never saw him again. On the flip side, one that I think that I, I always forget played so many games that season that we won was Paul Warhurst. Ah. Um, signed for a couple of million, which is quite a lot of money at the time, as a, as a striker, really. He scored goals for Sheffield Wednesday. Played 27 matches, um, played 27 games um, the um, the year we won the title. Played right back, central midfield. I think we had him at right right midfield at one stage. Scored a couple of good goals. Um, I think he's a player that that perhaps you, that that gets lost in the, uh, the, the, the you know when people think about that Blackburn team, they think about the stars, the, the goal scorers, the wingers. You know, um, he was. Um, 27 games he played. He, he got a medal. He was um, it, it was probably the the best we ever saw him as well. He was he was forever injured after that. So maybe Paul Wallhouse would be mine.
0: He was a defender at Wednesday first of all wasn't he if I remember it, right
1: yeah and they they sort of turned him into a makeshift centre forward and he, he he scored he scored a few goals for Sheffield Wednesday and and then we bought him and I think everyone thought oh we bought him as a as a, as a centre forward I, I can't I can't remember him ever playing centre centre forward for us um, he tended to play midfield but as I say we I I, I, I remember him um, I remember him playing right back for us um, at times as well so um, yeah he, he was a decent footballer.
0: And finally Rich Give us a name
1: This one was a tough one I had to try
3: and wrestle With this one To try and work out Because it was between Two But I picked this one Purely Because he, he was Absolutely awful <laughs> um, It was a player A little known player Called Bjorn Torkevame Oh yeah Blonde guy Yeah He went through this phase He came in And he had a sweat back in He looked like He was a Norwegian defender And he looked like He was He was Audition to be part of a Scandinavian pop band. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that was probably about the sum of his abilities because he was just... I mean, I actually had a funny story. Um, I actually encountered him a few year, years later in, the, in the, the previous decade, in the 2000s, when it was, um, there was a Masters tournament on in Liverpool and me and a few mates were out in town and um, we spotted Stefan Anshan. He was played for Blackburn at the back end of the 90s um, mm. in the bar. We started chatting to him and he's with Kavar and we thought, that's a weird one. Um, and at the end of the night, we just said, obviously, we we're all GMs. We said, well, we'd like to try and do some quick interviews with Stefan and this, that, and the other. So we get on the number off Stefan and then he goes off and does his thing. And then Bjorn's off, come on, we charge us up and goes, uh, we well, can have my number two as well. And we were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, it was like, and then he's like, oh, I'll well, take your numbers down. And we we're like, no, nah, you're right. No. Cause
4: we,
3: <laughs> um, and the last scene, um, riding the Liverpool X player gravy train at Anfield, playing against uh, Real Madrid Legends now where I never fault at his reign pure took of army lining up against real madrid cuz he was awful
0: <laughs> was a great note to end on it did get one cap for Norway and, and Norway were a pretty strong outfit in the in the 90s but yeah I remember it being pretty awful um, we had Torben Peeknik on last time out so the, the the sort of Scandinavian theme didn't do very well for Liverpool in the 90s did it after Glenn Hussein um, but thank you very much gents thank you very much we got through everything um, Where that's just where can people find you if they want to get in touch and talk 90s football John where are you on Twitter
1: I am um, uh, John underscore Harrison 81 good stuff uh matt i think i know yours but tell everyone for everyone
2: else <laughs> you certainly do it's uh, matt davis fc davis D A B I E S.
0: and rich if they want to read your good writing for all across merseyside for a, a plethora of outlets where can they find you
2: it is
3: uh, Richard Buxton underscore. Um, if you're looking for the spelling, just look at the water bottle.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Um, thank you very much, guys, and thank you for listening. Um, we may take a break from the countdown next show. I'm not quite decided and give it a mid kind of decade break with a, a different theme. But keep stay tuned to the Twitter feed to find out. Um, until next time, though, I've been Ash Rose. This is AK Nineties hashtag Keep It Nineties.